Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. In each episode, we'll explore the role of the 56 state and territory AGs as chief legal officers for their states and their work protecting the rule of law and the U.S. Constitution. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm chief communications officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In this first episode, I sit down with Montana Attorney General and NAG President Tim Fox. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for having me. Well, um, I wanted to dive right in and talk to you about um, your presidential initiative with National Association of Attorneys General. Um, your your initiative this year is focused on transformational leadership and civility. Why is this issue so important to you? Well, I think it's something that's important to all of us uh, in terms of moving our individual states and territories and, of course, our nation forward on the many important things that confront us. And I, I think we've all seen in recent years somewhat of a deterioration in the political rhetoric and and a corresponding decrease in the ability of uh, many of our nation's leaders to come together to identify problems and find solutions. You know, it's something that's so important to uh, our nation and our our, our people uh, that we find those things that we can work on together uh, to find the consensus and uh, and try to to see if there are things that we can agree on, which I believe there's much more we can agree on than we'd ever disagree on. And then concurrently with the deterioration in the in the political rhetoric, we've seen the rise of instant news, whether it be mm-hmm. on television, the internet, or in some other medium. And we've seen social media, which has really brought a, a lack of accountability for truth. Mm. Um, a lack of respect oftentimes, and frankly, a, a lack of candor. So we've created a what I would call a perfect storm where Americans really all too often focus on the things that divide us rather than those things that unite us. And in, historically, you know, our nation's 56 state territorial and district of Columbia attorneys general Uh, while not immune from politics, have been well-equipped and really well-positioned over the years to be focused on working to find bipartisan solutions to our country's biggest challenges. And all of that really began back in 1907 with the attorneys general coming together to work out the problems uh, with Standard Oil of Ohio and and the antitrust uh, movement back then. And through the years, we've seen much more collaboration uh, in working together among the nation's attorneys general. And probably one of the more important things that attorneys general have done uh, was the uh, National uh, Tobacco Master Mm -hmm. Settlement, which has brought over $200 billion in funds to the states and territories uh, over time to do tobacco cessation uh, work, uh, health-related programs, and here in Montana even uh, funds the Children's Health Insurance Program, or CHIP, they call it. And there are many, many other examples through the years where state and territorial attorneys general have worked together uh, to find solutions to some of the great challenges of our time. But in recent years, we've seen... um, more partisanship uh, at every level, uh, and certainly in our nation's capital, uh, partisanship is a well is uh, well and alive. 
Uh, and it started to infiltrate the ranks of the attorneys general, in my opinion. I was uh, elected and took office in 2013, and I'm now in my eighth year as attorney general, and I've seen uh, quite a few changes in that time. And, uh, you know, whatever the cause of those things, the important thing about it is, is uh, if we allow that kind of rancor and identity politics and destructive rhetoric to influence the relationships we have as attorneys general in our national association, it really hinders the effectiveness of our collaborative work and the bipartisan work that we do. And so that's where I, as I started to uh, be more and more interested in taking a leadership role in our national association, and, and I've been on the executive committee since July 1, I think, of 2013, my first year in office as attorney general, um, I began thinking, all right, if I was president of the association, what would my presidential initiative be? As you know, that's the the uh, programming that the, the president each year uh, is is able to choose to, to, to direct much of the, the conversation that we have during the tenure of a president. And coincidentally, I decided to finish the the uh, my master's degree back in 2018 when I uh, got in the, the transition to eventually be elected uh, president of the association. And I got to thinking, why why not uh, make my master's thesis uh, the subject of my presidential initiative? And so I started thinking about what would that be? And there have been many great, worthy presidential initiatives through the years. I'll never forget before I even got sworn in as attorney general, <clears throat> uh, Rob McKenna, the Washington attorney general at the time in 2012, uh, was outgoing. He, I believe, was uh, term limited uh, or, or for whatever reason was leaving, but it was the end of his presidential initiative was called Pillars of Hope, Attorneys General uh, Unite Against Human Trafficking. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something that had really been on my radar screen. And Montana uh, is a big state with few people, and we tend to have a low rate of crime. And and, um, you know, I thought, well, this really can't be a problem in Montana, sex trafficking and labor trafficking. But when I came home from a program uh, with the National Association centered on uh, human trafficking, I started asking questions. And and when I got sworn in, I started asking my staff to look into at this. And lo and behold, uh, we do have trafficking issues in Montana. And that started a long course of action in my office. Uh, to bring new statutes to better address uh, human trafficking and particularly sex trafficking, uh, collaborative work with uh, people all across our state. And, and I'm happy to say that Shared Hope International, which grades the individual states and in their efforts uh, to address sex trafficking, uh, once had given Montana a grade of a D before I uh, was elected, <clears throat> excuse me, and Within a couple of years, Shared Hope International graded Montana with an A for, for our efforts collectively, many, many people uh, to address this issue. And just a, a, just a short while ago, uh, Shared Hope International said that Montana uh, was uh, in the top two states in the nation wow. in fighting sex trafficking. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can work together. We can borrow ideas from one another. But that's only if we work together mm -hmm. and we build those relationships. So 
Um, I just felt it was really important that my presidential initiative, which is civility and statesmanship in the office of the state, territorial, and District of Columbia Attorney General, leave a legacy that that provides a roadmap for future attorneys general to continue to do the kind of collaborative bipartisan work that this association and its members are so well known for. Great. Thank you so much for that explanation. It definitely sounds like um, the, the type of leadership that you're able to bring to the cause can make a difference. So are there any current or historical figures who embodied these traits in a way that you think is worth emulating by anyone, including attorneys general? Oh, you know, many, many people come to mind. And and one of the things that I had proposed in my master's thesis, and by the way, I did finally get my master's degree. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, there's a backstory there because I started it 34 years ago and just finished it in 2018. But uh, in any event, the important thing is you end. finished it, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a loose end that's been closed. But one of the things I suggested in my thesis is that our National Association canvas current and former attorneys general and others to kind of do a case study in all of the different things that that not only that we've done collectively as attorneys general, but individual attorneys general have done for their states through the years. And I know there's many, many great stories out there, and and uh, none of us do this work for you know, awards or accolades or, or you know, any attention, if you will. Um, but we haven't done that canvassing yet. And I'm hopeful that someday that someone might do something like that. But, you know, a couple of my heroes are my colleagues, Tom Miller, who is uh, the attorney general of Iowa and is the longest standing serving attorney general in the nation, uh, served longer as attorney general than any attorney general in our nation's history. And then Wayne Stengem, who's also a mentor and friend of mine in my neighboring uh, state of, of North Dakota, who is another long-serving attorney, attorney general. And both of those guys are fortunate. They, ha- they don't have term limits in their state. I often uh, joke with them and tell them when I'm term limited at the end of this year in Montana, I'm going to move to one of their states and <laughs> establish residency and run for attorney general. So Wayne Stengem told me to bring it on. <laughs> but you know, the, the way they've conducted themselves and, and um, really gained universal respect to be uh, respected over, over and over again, uh, you know, is for good reason. They carry themselves uh, the thoughtful way in which they, uh, you know, message and communicate with their constituents, uh, their presence in their communities, um, their openness and accountability. Uh, those are success stories in and of themselves and really reflect what I believe to be true statesmanship. And, you know, I don't always agree with uh, Tom Miller or, you know, and there are things that Wayne Stingham and I might disagree on, uh, but I admire the way they conduct themselves. They're uh, the way that they avoid the kind of pandering and, and divisive political rhetoric that undermines our citizens' confidence and what our true motives are. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the advent of social media and the ability of folks to uh, say something uh, to a national audience, if you will, in a moment's notice, uh, to me is, you know, been abused by many of us on either side of the, the, the aisle. 
um, in, in ways that really do, I believe, uh, undermine the confidence of Americans in why it is we're doing things. Ultimately, we are defenders of the rule of law and the Constitution. And while we might uh, sometimes uh, disagree on how to do that, I think we can agree on the necessity for stating things in a way that don't uh, engage in personal attacks, uh, that just state the basics and the facts and don't get into uh, things that uh, are designed to you know, um, increase emotions and divide people. So those are a couple, but one of the stories I love to tell, there's a, a book uh, called Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, she's a, a really great historical author, and she has little vignettes about um, uh, American presidents in there, and one of them is Teddy Roosevelt. And I love the story about Teddy Roosevelt's rise in politics. You know, he kind of was born and grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth from a wealthy New York uh, family. And eventually he uh, was elected to the state assembly. And his first term, he apparently, you know, kind of got his sea legs and, and got the lay of the land. But ultimately he became kind of a firebrand and apparently uh, you know, alienated not only the members of the Democratic Party, uh, but his own members in the Republican Party. And he became somewhat ineffective uh, because of uh, his rhetoric and divisiveness and, and uh, partisan politics. And ultimately, uh, Samuel Gompers, who was the labor leader there in New York and someone probably politically diametrically opposed uh, from uh, Teddy Roosevelt, came to Roosevelt and asked him to co-sponsor a union bill uh, that would prohibit the manufacture of cigars in tenement houses. And of course, uh, being of a different party and different political persuasion, Teddy Roosevelt writes that his initial reaction was to say, no, absolutely not. You know, you're a liberal union Democrat and and I'm a Republican and a conservative and I'm not going to co-sponsor a bill with you. But Gompers was apparently was unrelenting <clears throat> and he he finally got Roosevelt to agree to at least come and look at the the situation in these New York tenements. And what Roosevelt saw appalled him, the squalor and uh, the the cramped quarters and kids being taken advantage of and abused. Uh, and it moved him. It not only moved him to co-sponsor one of the earliest labor laws in our nation, but it caused him to believe that he needed to essentially expand his horizons. And in his writings, he, he writes this, um, indeed, a very large part of the rancor of political and social strife springs from the fact that different classes or sections are so caught off from each other that neither appreciates the other passions, prejudices, and indeed point of view. We're seeing so much of that in this day and age where people have uh, drawn lines, they have uh, really uh, decided they want nothing to do with anyone who might disagree with them. And they've become uh, so uh, divisive that we really don't know who we are or who they are. And 
that's one of the goals of my presidential initiative, and I feel it should be a goal of leaders across our nation, is to build relationships and to um, take on the tough issues and debate them without pointing fingers or laying blame or being divisive, uh, being thoughtful and listening. And there are many examples of that. You know, I'm particularly proud as a Montanan that Jeanette Rankin, who was uh, an activist in the women's suffrage movement, helped to bring women the vote in Montana years before the national amendment to our constitution. Uh, Mike Mansfield was a part of the civil rights movement. He's uh, uh, was the Senate majority leader and a Democrat from Montana. And he worked with Lyndon Johnson, who was president after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And uh, they worked on a Republican, Everett Dirksen, in the U.S. Senate, to ultimately bring a coalition together to pass the Civil Rights Act. And, you know, that those are examples, perhaps in the moment, nobody thought, OK, let's set out a roadmap of statesmanship to figure out how we're going to get this done. But they did it. And I'm, I, I uh, like to go to uh, a speech I heard by a guy named Michael Beschloss, who's a, an author. He spoke at the Council of State Governments back in 2017, and I listened to his speech. And he, he outlined what he believed the five traits of statesmanship are. One is having the courage to exercise leadership at the risk of being unpopular. You know, so often we're as elected officials in particular, we're looking at to what's next, getting reelected or hopping to the next office. And so we don't oftentimes want to make waves. Uh, next, he, Beschloss says, uh, exercising great persuasiveness to explain what may be an unpopular decision. Third, acting in the context of the times with a sense of history. You kind of got to know where you've been and where you're headed. And an ability to reach across the aisle and work with people of differing political parties and persuasions. And then last but not least, and I think this is a key, he says, you got to have an understanding of why someone would hold an opposite opinion or view than you. And the only way, and this is me talking, not Michael Beschloss, the only way you're going to do that is to build relationships. Thank you for that. So I'm guessing then that building relationships is key to having attorneys general across the country work together more collaboratively. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So, you know, some of my best friends uh, that I've uh, been able to have uh, are just in the last uh, seven or eight years with the relationships I've built, not only with my attorney general colleagues, but uh, NAG staff and, and great leaders who have worked with attorneys general and participated in the in the things that we do. And so, you know, not every attorney general has the time perhaps to to uh, slow down and and ask about someone else's family or or uh, engage in a healthy debate uh, about some sort of policy or issue. Uh, but when you do take the time to do that, uh, I've found with my colleagues um, it, it not only builds respect, but it builds a better understanding. And I'm, I'm not one that's going to compromise my principles or my morals or my political beliefs 
uh, and certainly not going to compromise what I believe the law to be. Uh, but yet again, if we focus on the things that um, we might be able to agree on as a starter, uh, we can build on that. And so uh, the, the National Association of Attorneys General, the staff and leadership in that organization, including yourself, do a great job in providing uh, us with an opportunity to, to get together and have those discussions. And I've said in my thesis that, you know, we can't just focus on the things that we can agree on if we're going to get to know one another and understand, uh, you know, why we individually believe the things we do and take the stances and positions that we take. We also have to have those heated debates. We have to uh, agree to disagree. We, we have to um, sometimes maybe raise our voices a little bit without uh, being uh, unkind or disrespectful. And I think that we should do more that, than of that, not just in our National Association of Attorneys General, but um, in other organizations where leaders come together. So healthy debate is always good. And um, so we, I, I think we also have to resist what, uh, what has been termed by a, uh, another author, John Meacham, in a book called The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels. He calls it uh, resisting tribalism. And, and basically, that's just, you know, moving so far away from one another uh, and not engaging with one another in any kind of civil dialogue or debate uh, and just, you know, becoming intractable. That's the kind of tribalism that we need to resist. Um, there's a good example uh, in a quote in, in, in uh, his book by Eleanor Roosevelt, where she says, it's not only important, but mentally invigorating to discuss political matters with people whose opinions differ radically from one's own. She says, for the same reason, I believe it is a sound idea to attend not only the meetings of one's own party, but of the opposition. Find out what people are saying, what they are thinking, and what they believe. This is an invaluable check on one's own ideas. And that's, again, from Eleanor Roosevelt. And, again, I think we can be more respectful and more understanding and agree to disagree if we know a little bit about the people that have differing views and where they come from and why they believe what they believe. And uh, so I think there are pl plenty of ways we can do that. NEG provides a, a way to do that with not only our meetings, but uh, our trainings. The NEG Tree Attorneys General Training and Research Institute does a great job in bringing not only attorneys general, but our staff together to work on many, many issues and build those relationships in doing so. And the um, uh, recently, the, the executive committee of the National Association has approved uh, a new uh, leadership and excuse me, a center for excellence in government, and which is you know going forward going to be devoted to strengthening our individual and collective leadership and building these relationships, so we do have a better understanding of not only you know perhaps what we can't don't agree on, but what we can agree on, and so there'll be encouragement uh, long after I'm gone in the ranks of the attorney general through the center for engaging in civil uh, bipartisan dialogue and debate and engaging one another uh, to build those relationships to have a better understanding of where we're all coming from. 
Uh, and through that, uh, there are some ideas that we are engaging in now. Uh, there's the International Leadership Institute, which will be designed to bring small groups of attorneys general together to have that kind of debate and discussion, and then also some social interaction to get to know one another. We'll see if we can arrange that. I think we can. <laughs> um, historically, um, or can you share any examples of circumstances where state attorneys general have worked together in this kind of bipartisan manner to serve their own states and also champion programs, you know, across the country? Sure. Well, I spoke to a few things earlier, you know, the standard of uh, oil of Ohio antitrust uh, action, of course, the tobacco master settlement. Uh, you know, more recently, we've worked on a number of things having to do with cybersecurity and Internet safety, uh, as I mentioned, human, human trafficking, uh, some of the the uh, uh, presidential initiatives in the early years. Doug Gansler, the former Maryland Attorney General, uh, was very focused and uh, proactive in recognizing the importance of privacy in the digital age, which with all of the uh, breaches of uh, private information uh, that have occurred uh, via the internet and otherwise. And attorneys general have united in that arena uh, to hold uh, large and small businesses and corporations accountable for their lack of action in in keeping safe the private and confidential information of their customers and clients and people they serve. Um, uh, J.B. Van Hollen, the former Wisconsin Attorney General, really focused on keeping our children safe, uh, the disadvantaged and the disenfranchised as well. And saw that as really America's promise to the world is that we would keep our kids safe. So uh, those, you know, those are just a few examples. Most recently, uh, Jeff Landry, the Attorney General of Louisiana, focused on disaster and emergency preparedness, and how poignant uh, and practical was that? Now that we are here in the midst of a global pandemic. And the foundational work that General Landry encouraged the attorneys general to do is being is being put to practical use every day in our nation. And so, you know, it, you know, and then, of course, there's multi-state letters encouraging Congress to do things or not to do things. Uh, there are uh, times when we banded together uh, to bring lawsuits against, uh, say, for instance, pharmaceutical companies that have. Um, marketed drugs off-label for purposes not approved, uh, you know, taking on fake charities who have uh, bilked Americans out of money uh, and then used it for the their owners and organizers' personal use in buying homes and fancy cars, taking those charities down and trying to get restitution. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. I'm so proud of what this organization has done through the years and can, will continue to do if we just get to know one another, if we're thoughtful, if we build those relationships, and if we find those things that we can agree on. Absolutely. So you mentioned, um, you know, the most recent presidential initiative on disaster preparedness. So you became president of NAG back in December of 2019, and a lot has changed since, since then. Can you share your perspective on the important role that attorneys general play during crises like these? 
Well, I'll tell you what, I've been very busy uh, and my staff have been very busy at the Montana Department of Justice addressing so many things. And every one of my 55 colleagues have risen to the occasion in this national and world emergency. Uh, and the examples are too numerous to to uh, to mention. But let me just start, you know, just some simple things that we've done here locally. Um, you know, there were emergency orders issued by our governor that that uh, prohibited large groups from congregating and, uh, you know, closed businesses, obviously. And eventually there was a stay at home order. Well, government at all levels has to continue to go on and operate and provide the essential services to our constituents that were required to provide by law. And so one of the issues that arose was, how do you conduct a public meeting and provide Montanans with their constitutional right to participate in government? We have a very unique uh, constitution. And their right to know under our constitution what government is doing. How do you do that virtually uh, when you can't meet in person? So uh, we we got together uh, virtually, of course, with uh, local government and state government leaders, and we very quickly in our office put together uh, a a set of guidelines to guide government operations and to conduct open meetings and provide the information we're constitutionally required to give to our constituents. And it was a big effort to do that. Uh, and then we mobilized to try to help all of those uh, government agencies in their efforts to do that, even up to and providing technical advice and support uh, to agencies that we're not responsible for so that they can conduct Zoom meetings without getting Zoom bombed. So uh, that was just one area in which we've been helpful. Uh, on a national basis, uh, we've seen the National Association of Attorneys General develop a, an AG staff-only COVID-19 resource page where we could um, provide uh, information, things that we've been doing, for instance, lawsuits, pleadings, uh, information that may be helpful to our colleagues in other states. And this is information or this number is a little low, but <clears throat> several weeks ago, I was told by NAG staff that 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 resource has been had been visited over 22,000 times by AG staff across the country. Mm -hmm. I know that we defended a lawsuit that would have allowed inmates to be released from our prisons and jails. And that was not a unique lawsuit around the states that many other states have been sued, too. And so we were able to provide the pleadings and the research uh, that we had done up to the NAG uh, resource uh, webpage so that other states could take advantage of that. Uh, NAG staff <clears throat> have engaged with our national agencies and leaders and have uh, orchestrated uh, conference calls with, boy, I've lost track of how many different agencies and leaders, some of the top leaders in our national government have been very accessible through the efforts of the, our national association uh, to our state attorneys general and our offices in a time of a national emergency. And that has been so, so helpful. Um, <clears throat> many state attorneys general have uh, organized uh, task forces with their counterparts in the U.S. attorney general's office 
all of the state attorneys general have been combating price gouging and consumer fraud that have arisen under the COVID-19 and people trying to take advantage of our citizens. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I, I can't mention everything that's happened, but you can go to uh, www.naag.org and uh, you can learn a lot more there about what our nation's attorneys general have done in rising to the occasion to help not just the constituents in their state, but, you know, we've been uh, we've been writing to Congress. And most recently, just today, I believe a letter went out um, uh, asking Congress to support the, the Safeguarding America's First Responders Act which is designed to essentially, if a first responder contracts COVID-19 and either dies or is disabled, then they should be uh, eligible for some of the federal benefits. Their family uh, should be eligible for federal uh, benefits that go to line of duty uh, uh, loss of life. Um, Broadband access letter, another letter that the state attorneys general uh, have recognized the, the uh, inability of our nation to provide adequate telehealth and remote learning services, particularly in rural America, because of, of a lack of broadband access. So we're, we're asking Congress to, to provide more resources for expanding uh, broadband in our nation. Those are just a few of the examples. Um, you know, I think there are many, many more. And uh, I'm sure that as uh, time goes on and we deal with this emergency uh, and the aftermath, there will be many great success stories of how the nation's attorneys general rose to the occasion and did well. Thank you so much, General Fox. This has been very informative and I would also say very inspiring about the things that anyone can be doing when they're working together, but particularly the nation's attorneys general. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Be well. You too. And I'll look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Thanks, General Fox. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the work of state attorneys general, including conversations with individual AGs about important legal issues in future episodes. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.